he took him off by himself away from the crowd. And he put his finger into the man's ears, and spitting, touched his tongue, looked up into heaven and groaned and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened, his speech impediment was removed, and he spoke plainly. Sometimes Jesus does miracles in front and in the midst of the crowd. But this particular miracle he reserves to being pulled away in solitude. And there are times when Christ can only open our ears and our eyes and able to speak clearly if he pulls us away from the herd, away from the crowd. And if we develop what St. Bernard calls an inner monastery, that is that I am alone with Jesus and I do not think the thoughts of the crowd. I bring this up because I would like to address some of the sins that we either do not confess, do not think mortal, or do not think they are important because the crowd doesn't seem to esteem them as very evil, doesn't seem to esteem them as very bad. And so I'd like to go through the Ten Commandments and talk about the gravity of certain of these sins, either that we do not confess, confess lightly, or that we persist in without any desire to remove them. In the first commandment, there are three that come to mind. And that is first, a lot of times I hear in the confessional, I haven't been praying. And there doesn't seem to be any sort of plan to reform that. And that is a big deal. It's a sin against the first commandment. And it can be a grave one if I'm not praying at all. I have a good friend um, who adheres to all of the natural law, or at least agrees with all of the natural law, and all of the church teachings. But he would tell me, and he would tell our other friends, that he doesn't really believe in God. And it's because of this difficulty that he has in prayer. And a lot of times there's nothing else that distinguishes us from a virtuous pagan, such as this man, or just, yeah, that distinguishes ourselves from him, or claims us as Christian. And it's if we're not praying, then we are sinning against the first commandment. Because we are esteeming everything else as greater than God. That I cannot even be in communion with him now. And so, of course, how can I prepare myself to be in communion with him for eternity? And the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that if we do not pray, then we will certainly go to hell. If we do not pray, we will certainly go to hell. And so to avoid prayer and not to make a plan of life, not just to say some, some words before we go to sleep at night, but to really try to commune with faith, hope, and love with Jesus Christ, then we can fall into mortal sin. It's a sin against the first commandment. The second, and many people know this, but some don't, and it's always worth repeating, and it's one of the gravest sins that we can possibly commit. It's receiving communion in a state of mortal sin. Receiving communion in a state of mortal sin. To do so is to claim that I'm in communion with Jesus when I'm in fact not. Communion does not cause me to be in communion with, with Jesus. Communion is a sign of my pre-existing communion with Jesus. And it raises that communion. What Jesus gives us to bring us into communion with him is the sacrament of reconciliation. 
And so to receive communion in a state of mortal sin is to commit one of the gravest sins that we can. The third, and I think um, this is not as, and especially, and I understand why it would seem uh, among scholar students that doesn't seem very important, is not tithing. Not tithing. Not giving any of our money. And I don't mean that everyone is called to necessarily give 10%. There are different eras of people's lives that make it hard to do so. But the summation of the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right before Jesus goes and talks about his passion and his last teaching is when he walks into the temple with his disciples. This is not a parable. This is a real life event. When he walks into the temple and he sees the old widow putting in her last two coins and says, she has given more than all here. She has given more because she has given from her heart. And so I say this, you know, it's not like, you know, Father Sibley didn't call me and say, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to haunt you with my ghosts if you don't talk about tithing. Because, you know, it's not like the temple treasury benefited much from the widow's two cents. But tithing is for us. We don't give anything to God. God gives everything back to us. And we can return the little that we have. And so tithing is very important. This is also iterated in Matthew 25. I was hungry, and you did not feed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. That tithing is a particular way in which we give, and if we're not willing to sacrifice that, then it's, it shows that we're not willing to give God all that we have, not just our goodwill, but actual money, things that will actually pay a price. Moving on to the second commandment, and this is so habitual amongst the crowd and the herd, is simply using the Lord's name in vain and using it in passing. And we pawn it off and say, well, it's a habit. If it's a habit to kill people, it doesn't make it good. You know, like I can't look at my own speech and say, yeah, well, I guess I'm I'm just kind of like stuck with it. I'm sorry. We have to be able to repent from this. A practical way of doing this and one that will make us quit very quick is to institute to bring back the swear jar. Bring back a jar, whether it's a note on your phone or an actual jar, maybe just stick your whole credit card in there if you're really bad at it. And every time that you say the Lord's name in vain, put a dollar away and you'll notice, and put a dollar away and not say, don't try to kill two birds with one stone and say, see, look, I'm tithing as well. No, 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 still gotta tithe and you still have to institute the swear jar, right? So. That is a really effective way uh, to overcome it. And also, on the spot as well, just to pray a Hail Mary. Using the Lord's name, the, the name of the Lord is so sacred. If you think about it within salvation history, God doesn't reveal it until much later on. He keeps his name from his people. And he only gives his name to those who believe in him. And when we use it so flippantly and casually, it shows an amount of disbelief or, or just kind of, yeah, like as if God doesn't really exist, right? It shows um, a lack of respect for God's power. And it shows that we don't esteem him above all things. And so for this reason, using the Lord's name in vain can be a grave sin. The third commandment, and this 
again, is committed by the herd very frequently. Not only, we know that we have to come to Mass on Sunday, but it's not resting on Sunday. And this is a real problem of what we esteem to be meaningful. Whenever we rest, whenever we celebrate, we celebrate for a purpose. But so often, and the devil would have it this way, Sunday is not like any other day for for the majority of Christians. Sunday is usually get the work done day because I've already spent Friday and Saturday doing everything that I want, all the resting that I want. And so then I associate the resurrection of the Lord with just catching up and being a burden. And Christ, I mean, I mean, Christ, you know, rises on the eighth day, right? He rises on the eighth day, and, and that's how we keep the Sabbath day holy. But then God establishes the Sabbath day not just as an option, but as the day to rest. Because whenever we separate rest from purpose, then our rest becomes sinful. Then we find ourselves, you know, at, at these clubs, at these parties, just listening to all the same music, droning ourselves out because there's no real purpose. All we want to do is experience a certain sensation, whether that's being drunk, whether that's, um, whether that's having a lustful encounter, because there's no real purpose for the celebration. There's no real purpose for the joy. And so it turns inward. This is why we call holidays holiday because the etymology of the word is holy day. Holidays were always um, concomitant. They were always together with a certain celebration. And so not taking the time to rest on the Sabbath day is a sin. The fourth commandment, and this is um, you know to honor our father and mother, but a lot of times I'll hear um, from particularly college students is come to the confessional, you know, actually my relationship with my parents has gotten a lot better. And it's usually just because we define it by absence. Like, yeah, my relationship with my parents has gotten better because I haven't been talking to them. <laughs> because normally when I talk to them, we fight. But what, what God doesn't say is don't dishonor your father and mother. It's an active commandment. Honor your father and mother. There are duties that come with being a child, and there are duties that come with being a parent. And so if I just simply avoid a negative confrontation, then I'm not fulfilling the fourth commandment. There are duties that we have to do to check in with our parents, to make ourselves available. Family is the building block of society, and every movement that has tried to dissolve society has tried to disrupt the family. This is why it's the first of the commandments as far as the love of neighbor commandments, the second half of the Ten Commandments. The fifth commandment, and I think we know this, but it is such a staple of Cajun culture that it can't be emphasized enough, is the sin of drunkenness. It is the sin of drunkenness. And the sin of drunkenness is a mortal sin. And it's not a mortal sin, it's like, you know, Father, I, I got drunk, but hey, I didn't go blackout this time. Or I didn't, I didn't vomit this time. No one had to hold my hair back. That's not, <laughs> that's not the threshold. You know, God calls us to higher than that. But if I am committing the sin of drunkenness to where my reason and my will are compromised, and I'm not able to go outside of myself and perform acts of charity, then I've committed the sin of drunkenness.
And this is something that needs to be confessed. And if I have committed, I need to abstain from communion. The sixth is uh, the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery is, of course, the sin of looking at adult explicit material and impurity with self. This is always this is grave matter and it is a mortal sin. And even if habitual remains a mortal sin. So being aware of that is very important. And it is a sin that's worth fighting against. As far as the seventh, the seventh commandment, and this one is one that is very common as with all the virtual classes that are now going on with college students. The seventh commandment is thou shalt not steal, but it usually manifests itself in cheating on tests. Cheating itself can be a mortal sin. And it's done so casually because the herd, the crowd does it. Everyone shares notes. Everyone looks online for all these things. We just assume, yeah, you know, the professor probably has baked it into the grade. He probably knows. It's still cheating, and it's still a sin. To take that away, I couldn't imagine being an employer and looking at someone who went to school during the COVID era and then someone who didn't and not wonder, did this person cheat or not? And will I be able to hire this person? Did they actually educate themselves during their sophomore year? Or did they go the whole time just sharing notes and doing, in the meantime, whatever they wanted? Cheating can be a mortal sin, and it is a sin against the Seventh Commandment. As far as the Eighth Commandment, the sin of thou shalt not bear false witness, is the sin of slander. Gossip is a staple. I mean, it happens amongst the herd because it can only happen amongst the herd. It can only happen amongst the crowd. But it can become a mortal sin if I slander someone else's reputation by the mortal sin they've committed. Oh, Cindy got drunk the other night. Or, you know, Stacy went went off and uh, slept with so-and-so. That can be a mortal sin by sharing that information without any real purpose for bringing that person into conversion, right? That is um, something that we need to be aware of and something that is committed very frequently and very casually and without guilt. And another sin, just to, to throw in to, well, as well, it can be the eighth command, but it, it can branch over a lot of commands, is the sin of scandal. It's the sin of scandal. So that, well, a lot of times we look at the Decalogue and it's about our own personal behavior. But I am accountable for the salvation of my brothers and sisters. And so committing the sin of scandal that causes someone to believe that um, a, certain Christian behavior, a certain behavior is okay because I see a good Catholic doing it. You know, as the Lord says, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, better it be that a millstone be thrown around your neck and you cast into the sea. The sin of scandal is a big deal and very serious to the heart of Jesus. And so I share all of these things as a way, and I know that some of them are going to be difficult to receive. But we can't go with this, these church teachings, with these sins, and whether we commit them or not, and then look to the crowd and say, you know, I don't really think that's a big deal. Do you think it's a big deal? No, I don't think it's a big deal. And then make a decision. What we need to do is be like this deaf man and this mute man and be taken away and have this conversation with Jesus Christ. 
Whenever Jesus takes the deaf man and he heals him, and he gives him the ability to hear, think about what he does. He plugs his ears in. I mean, he plugs his fingers in his ears. It's almost as if he takes away, he puts in some earplugs, he takes away the noise of the crowd, and he lets the deaf man encounter silence where the voice of God is found. And that is where our salvation lies, and this is where we will find true healing.